Hello, my friends. Welcome. My name is Joe. This is the Joe Martino Show. We had an election yesterday. Well, when this drops, it'll be yesterday. We're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about your mental models and how you use them to make sense of the world. This is probably a multi-part episode. We're going to talk about mental models, how you use them to make sense of the world. And then probably next week, we'll talk about how we should examine them. We're going to talk about that a little bit today, but how you should examine them and how you can shape them, bend them, break them, and rebuild them. All right, my friends, let's kick it off. This is The Joe Martino Show. You're listening to The Joe Martino Show, a podcast dealing with all things emotional, relational, and human nature. Joe is a licensed counselor in the state of Michigan, specializing in relationship therapy. He is also the author of the book, The Emotionally Secure Couple. All advice offered in this episode is offered for entertainment and educational purposes only. Enjoy the show. Okay, welcome. So what are we going to talk about? We could talk about the election. There was an election uh, when this drops. It'll have been yesterday. And I'm going to bet that when this drops, which will be the Wednesday after the election, uh, I'm going to bet that we do not know who our president is. And both sides are claiming moral superior ground uh, because of something that their, uh, the other guy did that makes their guy better, uh, while simultaneously ignoring all of the crap their guy does. And that's both sides, if I made you mad. To be honest with you, the mood I'm in today, I don't care. I just don't care. I want you to know that. Because I think one of the things that we are lacking in society is radical honesty. Just straight up radical honesty. And look, I get it. You know, I've already said this. I tell all my friends, if they told me they were voting for Biden, awesome. Tell me why without mentioning Trump. If they were voting for Biden or for Trump, awesome. Tell me why without mentioning Biden. If they didn't like Trump, okay, fine. Tell me his sins and then I'll let them list three or four. Okay, now do you really think that, that Biden hasn't done anything? Like what are Biden's sins that the people who oppose you look at at Biden and say? Or if they didn't like uh, Biden and they're like, okay, I'm, tell me Biden's sins, you know? And then I'd say, well, what about Trump's sins? What, what do his followers say? And if you're at the place in this world where you as an adult, and I know I have some kids that listen to this, my kids, I apologize. I know I have some younger people. Uh, teenagers and whatnot to listen to this, because quite frankly, they reach out to me on social media quite a bit. Uh, and, and so even you, if you're in your late teens, I'd say if you're past the age of 16 and you can look at the candidate that you want and you, can, you can't legitimately come up with grief for your own guy, that's part of the problem what's going on in our society today. But that isn't actually what I want to talk about today. What I want to talk about today is mental maps, because I want to talk to you, my friend, the listener, about how you can change your world. That's that's really all I'm interested in. How can we change our world? And sometimes I have people say to me, what if I don't want to change my world? What if I just want to be a house mom or a stay-at-home mom? Or what if I just want to be, uh, you know, somebody, a mom or a dad who works my 40 hours a week and just raises my kids? Well, if you do that well, you'll change your world, because our world needs a shot of kindness and graciousness and the ability to disagree nicely. We, we just need that. So if you do that well, you'll change your world. And what we're going to talk about today will help you. So if, if you're a CEO of a million-dollar company, if you are someone who, and I'm air-quoting this, just stays home or just works your 40 hours a week, air-quotes around both of those, this is for you. This is 
something that I believe will help you to better operate in your world. Uh, it, it's, it's important because one of the things that I run into a lot is, is people tend to struggle with, they repeat the same behaviors. They lean into something, they do it again. It's one of the reasons the personality tests are, are so, uh, especially ones that don't mean anything, like take this quiz on on Facebook or, you know, the old astrology things, read this, and well, you know, and, oh, it's so accurate. And some of the ones that even are more accurate. I'm, I'm on record. I don't like personality tests. Uh, the Enneagram is just something that I think people, too many people use as an excuse uh, to, 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 to acknowledge but not change bad behavior. Well, I'm just a seven. I'm just a three. Well, I'm a nine, which, uh, excuse me, I'm an 11. Because I'm not sure there might be a 9 in the Enneagram. I don't remember. I'm an 11-74-6-9. With a wing of Kerrygold butter. Which, can we all just agree, regardless what happens with the election, Kerrygold butter is worth every penny they charge us, and it's the best butter out there. All right, but that's me. I'm, I'm those numbers with a wing of Kerrygold butter. Because I don't like them. Because they give us a mind map that is fixed. That, that's why I don't like them. I've, I've been trying to articulate this for years. Probably in the last month and a half, I was like, oh, that's it. That's what it does. And what happens is, is I watch people engage in bad behavior. I'm going to change. I'm going to change. And they don't because they don't ever change their mind map. Well, what are mind maps? Well, mind maps are, are what our brain does to help us make sense of the world around us, whether it's uh, if you move to a new area or or even better, let's say I used to live in the uh, Washington, D.C. area, and we moved away. In 2000, we moved away, and then we moved about an hour from it, probably about two hours from there, uh, down to the eastern shore of Maryland. And then four years later, we moved completely away. We moved 10 hours away. And I went back 10 years later, and I had a mind map in my head about how I got around the area. You take 29 here, and I don't even remember, Manassas Parkway there, and 66 there, and you do this way and that way, and this road's a little bit quicker, but it's a back road. And my mind map was completely off because it was based on faulty information. My mind map of how I got around wasn't right. And so your mind map makes... uh, sense of where you're at. So right now I'm sitting at my office and my mind map, I can orient myself. If if you were here and we were talking about the lake, I'm facing the lake. Even though it is an hour away, I'm facing Lake Michigan. Detroit is to my back. Uh, So if you you have a mind map uh, of anything in Michigan, you know that I'm sitting with my back facing east, my face is facing west. And so mind maps do that. And then mind maps help us make sense of things. For instance, if you tend to agree with the Democratic platform, your mind map predisposes you to want to vote for Biden. And I've met people that were Democrats, like I can't vote for him. I've met people that were Democrats, like I can't vote for him. If your mind map is Republican, you're going to be predisposed to vote for Trump. Although... What's interesting is one of the things, psychologically speaking, that Trump has done is he has connected with people's mind maps uh, that, that supersedes, that transcends 
parties, because certainly there are people in the Republican Party that don't want to vote for him. And then I know that there are a lot of people who want to vote for him because neither party likes him, right? Like essentially the Democrats don't like him, the Republicans don't like him. And that is what causes him to have appeal to people or to some people, excuse me, because their mind map is, well, I don't trust them either. Our mind map makes sense of things. So this morning I pulled uh, up, pulled my truck up to the office and my wife was with me and I parked it sideways to drop her off and I said, I'm going to go drop the truck off for an oil change and I'll walk back. And she was like, oh, I wondered what you were doing. She had a mind map about how we pull into the parking lot that didn't actually map out. It didn't compute, if you will. It, it, it didn't create a solved formula for what was going on. And this is what our brain does. It, it creates formulas that solves what's going on so that we can orient ourselves in our place in this world. Now, in the past, I've talked about how our mind will fill in gaps. If we have two pieces of information, but the middle gap is missing, we'll fill it in. Our brain will give us a cognitive reward and we'll move on. Where that cognitive reward comes from is our mental maps. And, and I want you to think about this in terms of how you process the world, because your mental map is really important. And I want you to really, I'm really hoping that you'll spend some time over the next seven days really thinking about your mental maps. Because your mental map tells you where you're at in society, how you make sense of society, where other people are, and it causes you, or it's the tool that you use to predict future events, future happenings. So one of my favorite places to visit with my family is this little island south of us uh, in Lake Erie. And I have a mental map of that island. I have two mental maps. I have one that is what the island looks like as far as our interaction with it in the different seasons of life. I also have a mental map of how to get around the island. Uh, how, if we're camping, what that, what that event will probably look like. If we're staying at an Airbnb, what that particular event, event will look like. We've had friends go because we talk about it so much and they hated it. And part of it was is the mental map that they had was very different than the mental map that we have. And so we interpreted the events differently. Which then brings me to the third type of mental map that we have, which is the existential map. Right? So when they say, oh, we hated it, or most of the time, they don't actually say that. Like we had some people and they're like, oh, it was okay. Uh, we had one friend that we went camping with there and I don't think he ever wants to go back. We've camped other places since then, which is totally fine. Together, we've camped. Right? But there are people then who get mad. Well, wait, you didn't like what I like? Or think about this. We're talking about politics and I have my mental map about why I'm voting for my party. Uh, and you have your mental map about why you're voting for your party. And then you tell it and you attack my party. Well, I'm mad. Or sports. One of the things that sports does is it gives us a mental map of meaning and identity. Right? Uh, my dad and I were just talking the other day and we were laughing about how many people are 7-0 and with the Steelers who are 7-0 and or 6-0. and I don't remember what their record is. I think they're 6-0. and They play the Ravens next week. So that'll tell you what day this was recorded, uh, if you follow football. But anyhow, they're like, oh, we this and we that. And they have a mental map of that. Now, here's where this gets important. Our mental maps are constantly being formed. In fact, if you read survival books, right, books about people who survive in extreme circumstances, 
one of the interesting things is, is that kids six and under survive extreme circumstances at a higher rate than at a far higher rate than kids seven to 12. Part of that is, is kids don't have a mental map about being lost at uh, under six, typically. Seven to 12, they start to get that, and they start to have a mental map about the way things should be beyond comfort, as in food, uh, vacating our bladder and bowels and comfort as far as warmth and sleep. And so one of the things uh, that, that happens is as that mental map gets created in a seven to 12-year-old, their, their survivability rate goes down. 12 to 20, it's, it's all off the board, and, and then the statistics get really interesting. If you want to get into that, send me an email. I'll send you some books to read. But what this means is, is that your, your mental map is being formed all the time. And here's the scary thing. There are some researchers that suggest once you reach 30, it's set. It doesn't change. I, I actually think that number is probably dropping, and it's getting smaller or getting lower. As, as we elongate adolescence, as we make it more and more appropriate, air quotes, to be immature, we are lowering that number. And what is the main mental models that we've been raising people on for the last 30 years? Maybe the last 45 years. Comfort, right? What, one of the mental models we have is that if you're offended, it automatically means that the other person did something wrong. Now, there's no mental model that says, well, if I'm offended, maybe I should ask myself some hard questions about me. Like, why am I offended? Maybe the other, maybe I misunderstood the other person. Maybe I misunderstood their attention, intentions, excuse me. Maybe it doesn't matter if I'm offended. And these are questions that we just don't ask ourselves. And part of it is, I think, because we overreacted to a mental model that used to exist that if you were offended, it didn't matter. And, and so, you, you know, and even now, it, millennials get very angry if they're called millennials or Gen Z. But if they don't like somebody, they'll just go, okay, boomer, dismiss them. But then the boomer, the actual boomers, what's really funny to me about that is, is they call anybody who just disagrees with them, oh, you're just old and boomer. Well, here's the thing, for the generation that has a mental map that you can't say anything, you know, regarding race, gender, age, because it's discriminatory. Okay, boomer's a discriminatory sentence. It's a discriminatory ageist dismissal. In fact, I have a mental map that says we should value elderly people's opinion. doesn't mean we have to do it. It doesn't mean we have to, but, but there is wisdom in age. And, and some people say, well, that's because you're old. There's truth. I am old. But there are people older than me. And we've lost that mental map of we should listen to elderly people. So, so we need to figure out what are our mental maps? How do they work, right? Think about some of the emails I've talked about in the past few weeks uh, where people are like, okay, so we're supposed to go here for Thanksgiving Day and, and Friday or Wednesday and Thursday, and then we go here for Friday and Saturday, and I want to come home Sunday, and my wife doesn't want to come home till late Sunday or Monday, and all back and forth. One of the things that people have to step back, step back and ask is, what's the mental model that I'm applying to this? In other words, how do I orient myself in this situation for it to make sense to my life? I have a friend uh, who listens to this podcast. How you doing, Tom? Who He and I were talking, and he has a grown children, and he was talking about how sometimes when they ask him his opinion, 
if they don't do what he offers them as his opinion, he finds himself uh, elevating internally and, and experiencing anger. Why? Well, his mental model was, they asked me for my opinion, now they need to do it. Their mental model was, let me hear your opinion and maybe I'll do it, maybe I won't. Uh, think about the classic, you know, the, probably your second day, your second class of, of marriage and family therapy. You hear about the couple where the wife wants to vent and the husband wants to solve. They're approaching it with different mental models. One of the things that I've talked about, uh, it kind of the cat's out of the bag, so I'm just going to keep talking about it, is I don't understand, my wife and I don't understand the people that go away for extended periods of time without their family. I'm not talking about like husband and wife go away without their kids. I'm talking about the husband goes away with four guys. The wife goes away with four girls. And like they keep track. Like, well, okay, well, he had this trip to Alaska. So I get this trip to to Daytona. Our mental model doesn't have space for that. And to be honest with you, I've even spent some time uh, trying to create a mental model that would make that make sense to me. And it hasn't worked. I want to be clear here that I'm not saying that people who do that are wrong. I'm saying it doesn't fit inside my mental model of how I want to live my life, right? And so, so when I have a mental model, one of the things I have a mental model about when it comes to therapy is there are certain things, we can get all the certifications in the world, but you either put up or shut up in the room. And so when I work with interns, that's one of my things. You, they, all, they all want to talk about all their certifications. I'm like, you can get as many as you want. Anecdotally, I have a mental model that says the more certifications you have, the less likely I am to hire you. Because I find that people who can't put up in the room tend to think it's a lack of training, not a lack of delivery. And my mental model is actually the opposite. If I'm not working with someone, like I just recently had a couple uh, terminate with me and they didn't like me. And honestly, it wasn't a good fit. But one of the things that I did, one of the things that I have a mental model of is I go back through and I go over each session with a fine-tuned comb. What did I do? What did they say? How did I respond? And, and one of the things that I did was I violated one of my own mental models of you have to build rapport before you can go after real problems. And because they were in crisis, I let myself get caught up in the emotion of the moment and I went after the problems with them rather than stepping back and trying to build rapport. Now, I don't actually think it would have changed the outcome because eventually we we're going to have to talk about problems. And actually, the, the, when I said, well, I did ask, anytime somebody tells me they're leaving, I always ask certain questions. One of them is, you know, what, were you, what did you get versus what you were expecting? And she told me one of the things she was expecting was someone who just affirmed her no matter what. She's like, unless I'm killing somebody, it's your job to tell me I'm doing good. Well, no, actually it isn't. If you're calling your husband names, that's not good communication. And it's important for me to call that out in the room. That's delivery. And, and, and she just disagrees. She's like, no, you, you could ask him how he feels about being called names, but it's not your job to say. And, and so we have different mental models. And this is important because right now, whatever conflict you have with your husband, whatever conflict you have with your wife, and a lot of couples are divided over how do we respond to this uh, COVID-19? How do we respond to politics? One of the things that's interesting to me is my Facebook is relatively free of political posts currently. It is. It, it's, it's relatively free. Somehow Joe Biden and Donald Trump have gotten on my newsfeed and I'm in their sponsored demographic. But other than them, 
Essentially what I do is if somebody has too many political posts, that's subjective. In my mental model, it's not defined. There's a feeling there. I just hit snooze for 30 days. And I don't get their stuff. I don't get their post. And so what happens is I put in, I open up my Facebook. And in fact, I'll do it right now while we're on the, while we're, while we're I was going to say while we're on the phone. We're not on the phone, but while I'm on the mic. Okay, so here's one of my um, therapists and one of my friends uh, putting up a post about English, which I love. Here is an advertisement for outdoor gear. Here's a guy that I rent stuff from who's looking for some help. Uh, here's a thing on NASCAR. Here is a online sale. Here is a fishing store. Here is a friend of mine who is almost on the snooze for 30 days list. This one is not about politics. Uh, this one here is a friend of mine who has a lot of political posts, but for some reason they don't bother me, so I slide past. And it's not even that I agree with him. I, he just doesn't. He puts up what he believes in, I think, and so I'm okay with that. He doesn't attack the other person. Here's one for lawnmowers. Here's one for a hodag licking stick. By the way, if you're a hunter, I encourage you to look them up. Uh, it is an amazing invention. Uh, here's one for a camping site. Here's a dude from California that is talking about thinking. Uh, so he, he's a, a thoughtful person. Here is an Italian group. Hats for sale. Uh, a group that I belong to because of a specialized camera that I own, my old neighbor from when I was a child, a college friend posting a hymn, a t-shirt uh, advertisement. And, and so you get the hint. Now, here's the thing. People act like they're just slaves to their Facebook. Their mental model is like, well, I'm, I'm a slave to it. And here, and, and so like I have a friend uh, who also listens to this podcast, Amy, how you doing? Uh, who got off Facebook because she was like, it just dials me up. So I'm getting off. And I'll be honest with you, my first mental model is like, well, why? Why does it dial you up? Just slide past. But then it hit me. I don't delete it because I actually need it for business. I just snooze people regularly. And it doesn't dial me up too much. And if there are people that dial me up a lot, a lot, I will typically unfollow them completely. Right? And so what she did was she used a mental model of, okay, there's a problem. How do I solve it? And so one of the things, one, one of the reasons that discussions on Facebook don't work very well is because... It talks about things that are post-mental model. It talks about things that you're arguing something. If you think about how we process the world, the mental model is the root. And most arguments happen at the branches way at the top of the tree over the leaves. And, and so, uh, for instance, this morning I read an article about uh, stances on abortion. And the person who posted it was like, I've resonated with this and da-da-da-da, which is fine. But the author of the article that she posted lost me when she made to me an illogical argument. I, I think it's a logical fallacy. And, and I was, I, I mean, I read the rest of the article, but my mental model is like, wait, the logic says this, and your article has this giant pillar that's a logical fallacy. And, and so, you know, I, I scrolled on. Here's the thing. I didn't say anything to that person because I have developed a mental model that debates on Facebook is like sitting in a pool of gasoline launching matches and, and being surprised when you get burnt. So I just don't engage in them very much. Uh, sometimes I do, you know, but, but very, very rarely. 
because my mental model says no. So what happens is, is your mental model makes sense of what's going on with you. One of the things that, when, that happens to people when they encounter hard things, they have a mental model that causes it to make sense or not make sense. And so think about this. If one of the things that we've done is we have elevated safety to everything, you have to feel safe. You wear a helmet when you're on the swing set, on top of the rubber ground, on top of the wood chips, on the swing that can't take you too high. Risk is always bad. What happens when life gets hard? We don't have mental models on how to process it. If you're always solving your kids' problems, they don't develop their own mental models for how to solve them. I have a mental model that manipulation is always bad. Always. doesn't mean I don't manipulate. I'm not perfect. Lord knows every, anybody who knows me knows that. But a, a mental model that says manipulation is always bad, when I find manipulation in my life, I have to apply that mental model to it to eradicate that particular manipulation. Uh, think about this. Think about There's a book called Dirt is Good that talks about unintended consequences. It's amazing to me that we live in a day and age where we have to talk about how dirt is good for you, but it's actually good for your immune system, for your biomes, for, for all of those things. And, and you think about one of the things, what happened when we went, when we created a mental model, all dirt is bad for you. Allergies are way up. Like, like allergies that are just, we're experiencing allergies at way higher numbers. Immune systems are down. And I mean, this isn't even like a left-right thing. This is just, there's a lot of data on this. Because we had a mental model that we didn't examine. So how do you figure out what your mental model is? We go start asking, what are things I believe at my core self? What are things that I'm, that I'm using to orient myself in this world? Right? So, so we, you know, my friends that write in, those of you who write in like, well, you know, I don't want to go to my in-laws, but I have to. No, you don't have to. You have a mental model that is compelling you to. So you want to look for that type of lang language. What are the things that you're, you feel compelled to do? What is your mental model in those things? Because probably that's where your source of, of motivation is found. That's where your source of grief is found. That's where your source of distraction is found. And you need to pull back from the problem. Look at that and be like, okay, what, what are the things that I feel compelled to do? Uh, people who are afraid of flying, they have a mental model that it's more dangerous than driving. In reality, it probably isn't. People... There are people who have a mental model that if their guy doesn't win next week, the world's over. Probably not. At the same time, certainly there are policies that concern me. I have a mental model that, that says smaller government's better. Less government intervention is better. Always. There are people that strongly disagree with me. But what is your mental model about your expectations for, for disagreement? What mental models are you creating for your children? That's one of my favorite big questions to ask people. What are the mental models that you're creating for your children? Should everyone agree with you? Should everything be safety? Is there no risk? One of the things that, that's very interesting is, is one of the books that I just finished reading talked about how different people survived, uh, and obviously it's smaller numbers, when large groups of people died in events. And one of the things that they have found is people that naturally question authority. I'm not talking about being a jerk. I'm not talking about being mean, but just naturally question authority. They're the ones who tend to survive. My kids are going to be rock stars uh, because they, natu right? they naturally question authority. So, so one, of the, one of the things that the book listed was people who survived um, the 9-11 attacks from the towers 
there was actively people in authority saying, stay in the building. And there were people like, no, I'm going out. Either arrest me or let me out. And, and one of the things that we have a mental model of today certainly is if the authority tells us, as a, if the authority tells you, you do it, right? The mask. It's so funny to me how many people say, just wear your mask and the virus will go away. No, it won't. Even the most ardent mask supporters who utilize science say it's 60%. Now, here's the thing. I wear a mask, right? I got a mask right here. You can't see it, but I swear to you, it's right here next to me. I wear a mask. I always make sure it's on me. I, I had to walk to Meyer today uh, because my, my truck's getting taken care of. I wore a mask inside. I got no problems wearing a mask for other people because my mental model says I can wear a mask if it helps other people feel more comfortable. I'm okay with that. But the mental model of, well, we have to wear a mask and the virus will go away. The reason the virus hasn't gone away is because people aren't wearing a mask isn't true. In fact, we're shaming people. It's interesting. I, I saw, I, I want to talk about two mental models that I saw online. I'm, as I read for you, I'm part of a lot of groups on Facebook. Uh, some about true crime. I, I, like, I like kind of learning about that and, and, you know, the psychology that goes into that on both sides, the people who investigate, the, the people who commit the crimes. I also like uh, uh, some other pages that, that have different things, and, and one of them was one of them was on. Uh, actually, I think they might have both been on the true crime crime page, but one of them was on how people were having a party in Texas, and somebody drove by and shot it up and killed like like eight people. And somebody said, "Well, if they hadn't had a party, they wouldn't have died." To which I immediately said, "No, if they hadn't had a party." They wouldn't have had a party. They died because somebody put metal into them that doesn't belong in their body and shot them, and they left them there to bleed out and die. And you're shaming people that you don't even know. I hardly ever comment, but I was just like, what the heck? Now, we could talk about whether or not they should have had the party. I think we should have that conversation. Should they have the party? Shouldn't they? That's fine. We can have that conversation. But to say, well, that's why they died. No, they died because somebody shot them. And then... I was reading about a, a husband and wife who were in their uh, late 60s, married 57 years, um, maybe even their 70s. If you figure that out, 57 years, that means they were married almost 60 years, or maybe early 70s. They died by a murder-suicide. Uh, the, the, the husband shot his wife. She was in her hospital bed. She was dying. She was in severe pain. And so he shot her, and then he shot himself. And somebody found the daughters, some of these true crime Facebook groups, they really go out stalking people. Somebody found the daughter and the daughter actually put up, look, my parents wrote a note. Here's what's going on. I know they're all the news. I know people are gossiping. I don't want them to be remembered for this. I want them to be remembered for who they were. And so there is this, here's what happened. And she reads the letter. And somebody said, you know, I feel bad for them we should probably limit the number of years that you can be married. Did you catch that last line? We should probably limit the number of years you can be married. Why would you do that? Because my mental model says that all grief is bad. And so if we can limit the grief by, think, by knowing what's better for them than they know, then we will solve the problem. That's insanity to me. The mental model of, well... You know, I'm not for people getting shot, but, you know, they did go to a COVID party. So if they hadn't done that, they wouldn't have got shot. No, they wouldn't have got shot if somebody didn't put a gun on them and pull the trigger. It's okay to do violence if I feel 
hurt. I hear that all the time. That's a mental model that isn't accurate. And mental models that help us make sense of the world, the, the, the beauty of them is when they're right, we don't think about it. We just move forward. We just do it. I can drive from where I'm at to home without a whole lot of intentional thought. I meet parents, especially in my room. Well, my 14-year-old is being dis- disobedient. Okay. Well, my 14-year-old's being disobedient. Okay. Well, no, you don't understand. My 14-year-old isn't doing what I want. Yep. Okay. What mental model do you have? Why do you have a mental model that says it's okay? Or, or I, I, why do you have a mental model that says my 14-year-old is going to be completely obedient? Now, a lot of times they might say, well, why do you have one that says it's okay for him not to be obedient? That isn't actually my mental model. My mental model is I assume that my kids are going to push on things and I'm going to have to train them. I'm going to have to train them up in who they should become. Someone wrote that thousands of years ago, and I've always thought that is a good sentence. And so the mental models that we run, we don't think about. They just run the program. Right now I'm recording this into a program, and it's just running. I'm talking into this mic, but I'm looking at the screen, and I'm watching the physical representation of my voice to make sure that I don't go outside of these these certain things that I'm told are good. And, And as we move through life, our mental models have to be examined. If you and your spouse are fighting, what's the mental model that you're using? What's the mental model that they're using? Do you have a mental model together where the two of you can disagree? I know people who that, well, we never fight. You know, we don't yell. Yeah, okay, great. So your mental model is that any fight that's a yell is bad, but you don't talk for three days. That's emotional abuse. And that's not a mental model. That's a definition. But definitions inform mental models. I was at a, at a uh, pizza party one time talking to a guy from the city. And he was making fun of me, like just straight to my face because I drove a truck. Um, at the time, I was looking for a truck. I had on my cowboy boots and I had on blue jeans and I think I had on a flannel. And he was just straight up mocking me. And then we talked about my Ph.D. program. He's like, what Ph.D. program? I'm like, oh, I'm in a Ph.D. program. And he actually had enough self-sense to say, so wait, you drive a truck and go to PhD program? I said, well, as far as I know, driving a car isn't a requirement to go to a PhD program. Now, here's the thing. Out of that, I developed a mental model. I don't like that guy. In fact, our, we live in this region, the Southwest Michigan. And, and I, when I, I see him sometimes. My internal initial response is, oh, there's a jerk. I need to debate that mental model. I need to argue with that mental model. I need to push on that mental model. I need to operate. I need to have a mental model that kind of works as a meta, right? It makes sense of all the different models that I have to move forward. And, and so my hope for you today is, is, is that you can step back from the leaves of the argument that you're having, from the distress that you're having, and ask yourself, what's the mental model that you have? One more. I was one time I was working with a company, and one of the department heads didn't want to have to answer to the CEO, didn't think he should have to have a yearly review with the CEO, didn't think that he should have to um, answer to the CEO as long as he was making money, as long as he was a profitable, his department was profitable. I actually told the CEO, unless he changes, you're going to have to fire him. One of the mental models that I had when I started this business is that 
as we grew, right when we started out, there was four of us. It was, we were all kind of friendly. Well, we'll just all be friends. It, it doesn't work that way anymore. Now, most of the time when I walk in a room, conversation changes because I own the company. I get it. It's a mental model shift, though, that I have to have. What's your mental models? How are you making sense of the world as you lean into it? And are you examining them for consistencies and inconsistencies? That's my question today. So take a sheet of paper, write out two or three things that you're doing or two or three things that you're in conflict about or two or three things that you're stressed about and ask yourself, what's the mental model that you're using to understand that situation? All right. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, If you like this, please, please, please share it with a friend. I would uh, love for you to do that. It's so helpful to us. It's one of the best ways that, that we can get the word out about this podcast. Um, we do have exciting things happen. Once this COVID thing clears up, we have some exciting things that we want to offer to you. We're just waiting for it to be safe, to be honest with you. All right. I hope that you are enjoying your November. We are in the first week, but it's going to snap your fingers and it'll be done. And we'll be down to the last month of 2020. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please share with a friend. And hey, give us that rating in your podcast store. Until next time, change possible.